Welcome to MAP, the bi-weekly market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. Mars makes it as easy as possible for you to get your pharmaceutical, medtech or digital health product to the market and of course get the price it deserves. My name is Stefan Walzer, I'm the founder of Mars and a health economist by training and working in the fields of market access, reimbursement, pricing and health economics already since 2004. And now let's learn about the market access and reimbursement systems around the globe. Market access in the UK or maybe also mainly in England. I mean, everybody who's familiar a bit with reimbursement and market access knows that this is primarily also driven by the institution called NICE, which is the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, which is um, running and executing the benefit and cost-effectiveness assessments in the UK. But I think before maybe jumping a bit also into the process, I think it's very important keeping in mind that this is not only one kind of, call it benefit assessment, there are different processes for assessing technologies available. There's a single technology bracelet available, for example. This is a dedicated one to a single drug or treatment there is a multiple technology appraisal and as the name already says it is assessing at the same time several drugs or treatments used for one condition important then is also that we there is a fast track appraisal for technologies that offer exceptional value for money core question here obviously and then there's a fourth one which is the highly specialized technologies for the use of new and existing highly specialized medicines and treatments within the NHS in England. Within those assessments, it's very important that this is consisting for sure the kind of standard um, parts of a health technology assessment. So it's not only cost effectiveness, what one would maybe um, relate a, a lot with uh, the UK NICE, but it starts very clearly with the disease description, with the explanation of the unmet need, with the current kind of standard of care and how the patients are basically being treated. So this is obviously then focusing on uh, the English system. Then there is the explanation of the underlying evidence important here as well that very similar to some of the other markets that there is then the definition ready of an appropriate comparator as I would call it from a German perspective which then needs to be taken to account when comparing the new drug or the new treatment against the current kind of standard of care in England. Very important is also here to mention if there is um, uh, or let's say if the um, comparator is not correct is as I would say in the underlying evidence meaning that this is not showing what needs to be seen from a nice perspective then there are statistical measures like indirect treatment comparisons or network meta-analysis which are accepted especially in the UK. Still so keep in mind UK NICE has very high methodological kind of standards but if you can let's say achieve those then there is at least a kind of pathway which is not always let's say available in some of the other markets and if you know that just compare that to the accepted indirect treatment comparison in the German context for example. After that part then there's the big kind of component still 
on cost and cost effectiveness. So it's not only the cost effectiveness part, but it's also explaining which further costs might occur with a new drug and or treatment, and for sure the budget impact, which is obviously the estimated number of patients and then the impact which it might have on the current cutoff market. The cost effectiveness is a real kind of Again, another level, I would say, from a methodological perspective, when health economics needs to be applied. So a lot of statistical considerations, a lot of further analysis required as well on the underlying patient-level data, for example. So something really to plan for early and in advance. Anyway, very briefly, coming back again to the process after we have briefly discussed what should go into such a dossier. There are different, let's say, stages within the NICE um, assessment. So there is the kind of obviously is the start of it is the in development and that's the progress, the waiting development. And then there are a couple of further points which are then mentioned dependent on the results of the recommendation. Obviously, keep in mind NICE is not deciding, NICE is only in quotes recommending. So what could it be? There is obviously the recommendation, which is the yes in a way. It's a not recommended, it's directly opposite, so it's a no. A lot of times it's, for example, the question that it's not considered to be cost-effective, but sometimes it's also then the question that, or let's say the decision for the recommendation, that there's a lack of evidence for the clinical effectiveness. And both then need to be addressed, uh, obviously, in the continuation of that process. Then there's the recommended for use within the cancer drugs fund. Maybe something for the interview as well, because we have iLab now as well in the field and uh, just see whether this is maybe uh, a new kind of way in there. And then there are further ones like only in research, the name says it already, or optimized, which is then recommended for a small group of patients then originally stated by the marketing authorization. And with whom should we better discuss this than with Paul Grady and Graham Foxon, both managing director and founders of Remap Consulting. Paul's expertise in global and European pricing and market access has been gained from many years working in world-leading companies and consultancies such as Takeda and IMS Health, Cambridge Pharma. And Graham, for example, um, has already more than 20 years' experience both in consulting and the pharmaceutical companies and is developing global launch pricing strategies and producing HE submissions to address payers' requirements since those years. Thank you, Paul, for your time and for your insights, what uh, you might just share with us in the next couple of minutes. So to start very briefly and very, let's say, easy in a way, if you can say that in the context of market access in England, can you just describe the standard reimbursement pathway for drugs in England? Certainly, yes. So in the in England, um, the, the key decision maker body is NICE. Um, this is a body that assesses the cost effectiveness of all new products. Technically, in the UK, it, the uh, to get access for, for pharmaceutical products, it's technically free pricing, which is you're able to, the first thing you need to do is submit your price to the Department of Health. Um, but then NICE comes along and actually assesses if the product is cost effective. And if it is cost effective, then you will get access at that price. But typically what most companies find is that um, uh, the price is not cost effective um, and therefore they need to do discounts on, on that price to get access to the UK markets. Um, but NICE is the core body here and they assess the, the clinical and the health economical cost effective benefits of a, a product to get through the UK system. 
Okay, that's perfect. I mean, you mentioned cost effectiveness. I mean, when I speak with some of our clients, obviously we're more focusing for sure on the DAC markets, but when we speak about um, Europe, they normally just tend to say, look, I mean, if we're not cost effective, we will always get a no from NICE. Is that correct from your perspective? Is that the core driver of a recommendation by NICE? There's basically two parts to being cost effective. Um, the first part is, is the evidence that you bring to support the cost effectiveness calculation, be that a cost utility or a cost effectiveness argument or cost minimization approach that you go for. Um, the second, of course, is, is the price that you actually uh, you actually achieve. Um, and what, what we typically see is that a lot of people, um, the, the value of a product from a cost effectiveness perspective does not necessarily align with the price. Um, so there's basically two levers that a company have. One is the evidence base and the second is the price. Uh, and what you typically see is that if companies are unwilling to budge on the price, um, then then they are, uh, and the evidence package is not up to scratch, then they are unlikely to be cost effective. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are tools and mechanisms that are put into place, like the patient access schemes, the PaaS schemes, which allow for confidential reductions in price, um, so that you can lower the the cost effectiveness threshold, the ISA. To within nicest range of typically thirty thousand um, per uh, quality adjusted life year, and if you're able to do that, then you're cost effective. Um, the other way of doing that, of course, is to generate more evidence uh, mm-hmm. um, and or support the product value as well. But typically, that's much more challenging by the time you're already in the middle of a nice submission. Right, and, and that threshold is that a really fixed one, or is that still, let's say, a bit flexible? Probably, as and especially the question is obviously upwards. I think downwards. I think the flexibility is probably given. Yes, so NICE has recently gone through a, a methods review and changed its, its methods. Um, and there is some flexibility in there depending on the severity of the disease now. Um, and there are modifiers that can sort of come into place to actually uh, allow for um, slightly higher thresholds for what was historically end-of-life treatments, but they're now more applying that to the unmet need that actually exists within that disease area and there are there is also one other special category of products called highly specialized technologies um, where the threshold actually is 100,000 plus and they also have modifiers but these are typically for ultra orphan diseases with very um, high unmet need and um, very low patient numbers typically less than 400 patients in the whole of the UK in a year. Good, thank you. So the, the threshold modification is probably then, uh, I mean, as you said, as, as, as I understood it, let's say the kind of uh, next step after the end of life criteria, which was um, introduced a couple of years ago. Um, anyway, what is happening really then in reality if NICE would really say no, and primarily because of a too high cost effectiveness ratio? I think what I know from outside, it's rather than going into a, Price negotiation with the NHS, is that correct? Yes. Um, so you, well, sort of yes and no, which is the NHS doesn't really negotiate prices um, as in other countries, say like Italy or France as such. That um, it, it depends where the issue is. But if the issue is over cost effectiveness and too high an ISA, then there are options such as entering into uh, patient access schemes or managed entry agreements, which either lower the, the price to make you cost effective or um, put in place other mechanisms to 
to manage effectively the price, but through um, different management agreements to collect more data or to manage the, the impact of their. It may also be that the budget impact of the product is too high, mm-hmm. or there are other reasons. And so discussions could also happen with the NHS England, whereby they will discuss about the, the funding of the product. And if an agreement is reached with NHS England, that can also allow access to the product as well, assuming that cost effectiveness criteria is satisfied by NICE. Thank you. I think this is a good point to bring Graham Fox on into the conversation as well. Graham, what is your take on this? I think it's worth mentioning there's there's a difference in the UK between price and access. So the price through the new VPAS agreement means that essentially you you have free pricing in 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 the uk so you can say what your list price what the 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 nhs price is going to be nice's job is then to say whether that price is 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 cost effective and and a good use of healthcare resources within the nhs so to paul's point if that price is not cost effective then there are mechanisms in place certainly for hospital products to put managed access agreements um, or patient access schemes in place to offer a confidential discount to bring that price down to a, to a level that, that's considered cost effective. Got you, got you. I mean, you also mentioned budget impact and obviously, let's say the kind of regional or local level, I think, Graham, you mentioned also hospitals. I mean, w- what is the next step? Really just more in a summarized form, right? If you get, let's say, a green light or yes, let's call it from NICE, um, so recommendation, um, that the product should be reimbursed. What is then the next step, not only from a national, but probably also from a regional local level? Because I, I can still remember a long time ago um, that we got a positive recommendation uh, for a product at that time in oncology, but then we had some kind of issues with trusts because of a quite significant budget impact. What has happened and been implemented um, since that time is there's now a mandatory um requirement for the trusts to provide funding for nice approved products within i think i think it's 90 days mm-hmm. so if nice say yes then the hospital trusts the commissioning groups have to um provide funding for that product after a a, a set period of time the challenge becomes though is just providing funding is is one Um, you know, one barrier that's been overcome, getting the doctors to prescribe the product or having those products included on the local treatment guidelines so that they can then be used in local practice is another consideration. So what we've heard from um, a few of our stakeholders is, yes, they will grant you access to to the, um, or rather, they will grant access to the, the NICE approved product but they won't necessarily update the relevant guidelines until a clinician comes along and and states that they want to use this product and want to understand how the trust will allow them to use the product um, within that particular hospital or or region. And it's only once that the the guidelines have been updated that then the product can get used in sort of what I'd say routine clinical practice. Got you, got you. Um, Changing a bit the gears maybe, we have had Brexit now for quite a while. 
for sure. I mean, we know that um, obviously from regulatory perspective, I think there might as well be a potential new route. I would just say new route as, let's say, the kind of um, uh, inclusion of Project Orbis um, in England, uh, which I think is also applied for some in Canada and Switzerland at least. But um, from a reimbursement perspective, have there been any changes in the last couple of months or maybe years since Brexit has been implemented? That's a, a relatively simple answer, um, <laughs> which is which is no. Uh, that fundamentally the the access pathway in the UK hasn't changed from a, a pricing and access perspective. Nice, the SMC, uh, Wales Medicine Strategy Group are still the key stakeholders uh, in terms of access in the UK. So while the regulatory pathway has changed, with the MHRA now being the competent body for granting marketing authorization from a pricing and access perspective, nothing has really changed. Yeah, okay. That because that sometimes we just get that kind of question. So Brexit has happened from political perspective. Were there any further changes, maybe some further specifics so, for the UK? But that's an yes. easy answer this in this way, right? So, so saying that, you know, the, the methodology hasn't changed, the process hasn't changed, but the government recognizes that life sciences is a very important industry for the UK. Mm-hmm. So they have been introducing new measures, you know, you mentioned the orbit. Um There's the ILAP, the sort of innovative approach for for new medicines, where in theory, companies can go and discuss with the MHRA, the regulatory body, and with NICE, the SMC, to work out what evidence is needed to secure access in the UK. And the whole idea is that it'll encourage early access to innovative medicines in the UK. The feedback that we're hearing um, from the industry on that is it's a great initiative, but needs to bed down a little and and there's still not very clear understanding as to how that is really going to help secure innovative access um or access to innovative drugs in the in the uk the other thing that we heard as a result of brexit was that nice and the mhra have announced um that they're going to be working more closely together to try and speed up access to to drugs for new patients so the two processes are going to be working in parallel um but we haven't heard the details of how that's going to work in practice yet i mean uk is obviously not only consisting of of england uh, for sure i mean you have as well just mentioned the smc for scotland um is are there core differences let's say when you think about the pathway and compare it maybe with england between england scotland and wales or is this rather the same kind of approach still maybe kind of I don't want to say copy paste, but very similarly, let's say uh, preparing the submissions, or is there or are there maybe core differences? So, at a very high level perspective, um, they are similar, as in they're all focused on cost effectiveness of medicines and products coming to the market. Um, but there are there are strategic differences. Um, so, SMC, the Scottish Medicines Consortium, only only focuses on Scotland. Um, as it's in the name, um, and they review every single product that comes to market that you have to go through the SMC, and they are a completely separate process to NICE. Whereas NICE in um, England, if a NICE recommendation recommendation is positive, that will also cover Wales. Um, But if there is no NICE recommendation, then all Wales Medicine Strategy Group can also do their own assessment as well. Um, so England and Wales can overlap, but they can also do separate uh, assessments 
but the All Wales Medicine Strategy Group only comes into play if NICE is not providing guidance or has not provided guidance or an assessment report, typically. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. And, and uh, I mean, you just said as well, strategically, um, what is behind that? I mean, would you rather say, let's maybe first try Scotland, so we have a kind of, let's say, signal if it could work, or maybe Scotland is a bit more pragmatic, I think the, the kind of timelines, what I had in mind, are a bit shorter in comparison to NICE. Or would you rather just turn that and just say, maybe start with NICE because of the benefits, for example, if you can go through it uh, and Wales might be then covered and Scotland might just follow afterwards? So traditionally, that was the approach that some companies took. They thought, let's try in Scotland, see if we can get through Scotland, then we'll refine our approach for NICE um, and go, go through NICE. But since NICE has changed its timelines um, and is now assessing all new products, and the aim of NICE is to assess those products and to publish their guidance, you know, very shortly after getting marketing authorization, companies are now finding that they have to go through NICE first because NICE mandate the timelines. And then with the SMC, you can only really submit after you've got your CHMP opinion, um, to, to the SMC. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they go that now they're finding themselves having to go to NICE first and then go to the SMC later. And that there are technical differences between in the methodologies between NICE and the SMC, which does mean that you can see different recommendations from both bodies with broadly the same evidence package submitted. Um, so you really do need to do a strategic assessment of your UK market access pricing and access strategy to understand where where the differences may may lie and or where the, the benefits for one organisation versus the other may exist um, if you're looking to get access, if they do exist. Mm-hmm. Interestingly. I mean, you, you also just mentioned, I mean, the different timelines. NICE is getting and starting probably a lot earlier than... Um, than probably any other payer, at least in Europe. Um, so I'm I'm now just thinking, I mean, we have currently just similar kind of discussions with the EU joint HTA coming up uh, uh, quite soon over in, in let's, let's call it mainland Europe, right? Where also then at the time of marketing authorization, that benefit assessment should be available, which sounds very similar to what I have just heard from uh, both of you. I mean, how is NICE um, dealing with sometimes issues like, um, that the final label is not, not yet available or maybe some further statistical analysis are, for example, not yet available. Is that just a more, let's say, back and forth and sharing information as well between the different authorities, meaning from the regulatory and then from the payer side? Or how could I think about that? Hmm. It's a very good question because especially with regards to the final label and things. So NICE does have discussions with you know, with the manufacturer um, as part of the scoping exercise and as part of the evaluation. And it is hoped that, you know, in the majority of cases, the label is pretty much nailed down. I mean, it might be refined slightly, but the label should should be the same. So they are in constant communication with the manufacturer. And if anything should change in terms of a regulatory point of view, that would have a meaningful impact on the NICE assessment then that obviously has an impact on the timelines and how the product will be um, will be evaluated. But 
although the submission has to be made before marketing authorization, what we find is the actual nice meetings and, and the, the, the discussions are happening very close to the marketing authorization date. So all of those issues by that time, you know, will will have been resolved. So there shouldn't be the situation where you get a nice opinion based on a label that is different to the regulatory label. Got you, got you. So, it, I mean, it, it's probably then really, I mean, at least it sounds really more like a, a communication between both parties, right? So between NICE and then also the pharmaceutical industry, which is not what we see in a lot of, let's say, payer environments uh, in other mm. countries. I, I think that's exactly the case. I mean, I think NICE are much more open to having a communication with the manufacturer throughout the evaluation process and they're and not just nice but also nhs england as well there are quite a few channels available that allow manufacturers to have these types of discussions and, and come up with a pragmatic approach to these um to these evaluations based on the evidence that's going to be available at the, at the time of the assessment okay perfect so just very briefly as well we have spoken a lot about drugs can you mention how digital health is being implemented mainly in England? Is that also following the same approach with NICE or is, are there separate kind of um, pathways for digital health applications? <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of a Pandora's box at the moment. So <laughs> NICE, or, or, or rather the NHS, is, is interested in these digital um, innovations that are coming through and, and sees a lot of potential value that they can they can offer and there are a couple of processes that are available now so so one of them i think it's called diga is an approach that can be used um, to allow the nhs to understand the potential budget impact and also the the sort of robustness of the clinic the digital innovations that are coming forward um, and that's supposed to happen at the time of procurement and things. So the manufacturer registers their information on a site and then the relevant NHS bodies can look at that to, to make their own independent assessments as to is this something worth investing in. Separate to that, NICE have provided a, a framework that allows um, organisations to sort of evaluate the value that these digital innovations offer. So NICE don't conduct you know, your, your, your typical NICE assessment that they do for pharmaceuticals, they certainly don't conduct that for digital technologies, but they do have a framework in place that allows people to assess, you know, the, the value that these um, technologies are, are bringing to the UK. Um, but this is a place that's evolving quite quickly, and I, I can see that evolving, um, you mm. know, NICE getting more involved in, in more formal assessments going, going forward. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, this week as well, um, NICE has just announced the use of a digital app, Sleepio, as one of the first line treatments for insomnia in the UK. So actually displacing some of the more traditional um, insomnia drugs that were actually there. So, and that's their sort of formal recommendation that, that, that the digital app should be one of the first line treatments for insomnia. So it's, as Graham said, it's a really evolving space and it'll be interesting to see um, how this continues to evolve over the next sort of one to two years um, because of all of the different innovations and pathways that are coming through. Perfect, that sounds really interesting, yes. Uh, so um, we're nearly at the end. So I would maybe just uh, give you 
let's say the opportunity to answer the last final uh, question from my side. Um, why should a company launch the product in the UK? I mean, from outside, sometimes really be seen, I think, as quite difficult. I mean, nice is, let's say, also from a methodological perspective, I think, always on top. So that's making it not really easier. But what and why should companies maybe as well, and or maybe even before, uh, let's say, the EMA kind of region um, approach the UK when having all of those kind of potential hurdles in there? <laughs> ah, you know... <laughs> I think that's a challenging question. Do you want to go first, Paul? (laughs) Well, I think, and you could say it's one of the positive upsides of of Brexit, which is um, the UK always has been uh, and is quite widely referenced country from a price perspective. And if you get your price established, if you've got an excellent product um, with a strong value proposition and you achieve the price that you want to achieve in the UK, it sets a very good global benchmark in terms of price benchmarking. And with the advent of Brexit, you can decouple the European regulatory pathway through the MHRA, through EMA, um, with the UK one through the MHRA. So you could get faster access and also, NICE is more open to, as we discussed, um, discussions and innovative approaches such as um, coverage with evidence development, the mm. uh, cancer drug fund, real world evidence. So if you're looking to generate evidence because it's immature, it gives a lot more flexibility and options to practice um, and experiment in the real world. Having said that, there is still a high level of evidence that you need to overcome. So there are definitely some some pros uh, for doing it, particularly for for more complex markets in in the EU, Um, but there's also plenty of drawbacks as well for going through the process. Okay, perfect. So thank you, both of you. I think that was really great insights into a quite complex market, but I think you were able really to explain a lot of those kind of details from England uh, through Scotland, uh, but also covering very briefly Wales and finally also speaking a bit around digital health. So thank you both and look forward to further discussions. Thank you very much, Stefan. So as we have just heard from Paul and Graham, there have not been any at least market access and reimbursement changes in the UK since Brexit, but for sure there have been further um, elaborations, especially from a regulatory perspective. Important also that was uh, that both mentioned that the timings from the NICE assessments perspective have been changed. I think that it was a long-lasting critique over years um, that NICE is um, not really waiting until, let's say, the label is then available and then it takes a lot of time because of the high standards of the methodology until they are really coming up with the recommendation. But nowadays they're really starting early, even what we have just heard when, um, when the label is not yet fully available. Core to that is a communication process between both parties, so between the industry and NICE, which are then as well adapting and updating each other on a regular basis, which might then also come up with a kind of decision quite soon after a regulatory approval. On top, very important, and as well, long long time already debated, is a potential adaptation of the cost-effectiveness threshold. It is, let's say, transformed a bit from that end-of-life criteria, which has been implemented already 10, 12 years ago, at least, probably even longer, and now have been adapted, depending a bit on the severity of the disease. 
One needs to see how this is really being implemented into real life, meaning how much could that £30,000 per quality threshold really be adjusted upwards. Importantly, also what we have just heard, I think um, the process are, let's say, quite similar between Scotland and Wales. Important also, if you get a positive decision by NICE, it is automatically then implemented in Wales as well. So that's also something maybe keep in mind when strategically assessing those three countries in, in the UK. And finally, we have also quickly discussed about the digital health applications or solutions. I think um, both already said, I think at least from a political perspective and also within NICE from a political perspective, and but these kind of tools are seen positively, but obviously it needs to be assessed, which kind of evidence needs to be then um, further assessed. But I think there are some movements also going on within the UK. And finally, both have just time to laugh when we've just spoken. Why should one really go into that kind of direction? Because it is a complex market, but ultimately, I think there are also good arguments why one should as well try to reach an agreement and find a recommendation uh, within the UK system. For sure, the UK NICE is a kind of, let's say, anchor for a lot of other health technology assessment bodies and payers, at least across Europe. So this could also be a boost for reimbursement decisions in Europe. That was an episode of MAP, the market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. MAP is available every second week with a new episode, so watch out. And in case you might have questions, contact me directly and or visit our website on www.marketaccess-pricingstrategy.de.